Hi, and welcome back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With us today, as usual, is uh, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and CQ Roll Call editor-at-large, Bon Vivant, John Bennett. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. And we're here to talk about what's gone on this past week. And I guess let's start out with the biggest news of the day. And that is, of course, that Ron Klain, the uh, chief of staff of Biden's White House, is leaving to be replaced by uh, Jeffrey Zients, who was, uh, or Zion, I can never pronounce his name, forgive me, who's always, who has uh, headed off the COVID response. We've seen him in the briefing room on a couple of occasions. Ron Klain is uh, the architect, everyone surmises, of the Biden um, communication strategy, as well as many of the other strategies employed by the White House. So his leaving after the um, <clears throat> State of the Union leaves many to wonder if there's going to be a big change of direction in the way that uh, Biden handles the press and the rest of the world. So, John, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, how do you see this as as a move for the White House? Overall, I think this is a move that makes a lot of sense uh, for Joe Biden. I think uh, bringing uh, Zients in is a logical, you know, uh, second chief of staff for a Democratic president. Um, Zients is, has been an acting uh, OMB, Office of Management and Budget Director. He was on President Obama's um Economic White House Economic Council. He's held. He was the the COVID czar. Uh, he's been back in the White House since uh, sometime in the fall. They brought him back in. It seems as if uh, they brought him in to prepare for this very uh, this very move. He was helping with staff turnover, but uh, some reports uh, today indicate that uh, Ron Klain had given him some bigger projects, and folks in the West Wing viewed that as kind of a tryout, getting his feet wet. They were very uh, very chiefy uh, tasks that Zients took over. So it makes sense. Uh, he knows how Washington works. He knows how to, uh, the chief of staff's job is really to harness everything and, and, and organize it and make it work. And somebody like Zients is, is, you know, he's perfect for that. Now, you know, they do play the games as they say uh, on paper, this looks good, uh, but he's going to have a big job, um, you know, from dealing with a Republican house, uh, to the situation in Ukraine, 
you know, battling the Pentagon wants to do this, but the State Department wants to do something else vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine, and the intelligence community wants to do a third thing. So he, yeah, th that's just an example. Of course, on domestic policy, COVID's still out there. There's still a lot to do there. Uh, they have still have a domestic agenda. So it makes sense. The last thing, and, and not trying to filibuster here, but the last thing you do wonder, though, is um, with the classified document scandal now hanging over the White House, more documents, it was revealed last night, found uh, at the president's Wilmington, Delaware area home, you do have to wonder if if Klain's departure was sped up because of the scandal. Maybe the plan was to leave. This will come out in reporting, I'm sure. Um, maybe the plan was to leave, you know, in the spring. Uh, but you know, somebody, I, I, I do really feel like a scandal like this, not so much that Biden has documents or had documents from his Senate days or his days as vice president. Um, they didn't disclose this. They knew this a few days before the midterm elections and Klain would have been in the room for that conversation. And uh, you know, hell, he probably orchestrated it. Is right. Yeah. So, you know, that that's a it's a terrible look, despite what White House officials say. They might have been transparent with with DOJ and 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 the archive, the archivist, but they were not honest with the American people before the election. They They knew about this. And they were still arguing they about Trump. They didn't want to. Yeah. Right. They didn't so, want to screw up their chances in the midterm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And this is the way Washington works. When there's a scandal like this, uh, somebody's got to go. It's not going to be the president. So um, you do wonder <laughs> if if the plan was for Klain to step off the ship, but now he was kind of pushed. Michael, what do you think? Looking from the outside, as you look into it, do you think it 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 speaks well for the Biden administration, or it tells us that there's chaos? ensuing i think that the chief of staff job is a very difficult job and i it's a rare chief of staff that lasts very long in in that job because of the toll it takes and i think that ron Klain gave two years uh, to to biden he's given a lot of his entire career to biden yes and i think it makes sense and they're close friends. Well, yeah, for him and and his family to uh, make this change, you know, you're going to be switching into campaign mode soon if Biden announces that he's going to run. And I expect that um, Klain will have a role to play in that. He's always been the person who prepares candidates for the debates and the like and setting the strategic agenda. So I think that probably this is, uh, the timing that was set um, in motion some time ago and that the Biden documents case probably is not um, relevant to it. And um, there's no way of knowing that. But, but because of their deep years of friendship between Biden and, and Klain, I, I, I can't see him having been pushed out. Maybe the timetable moved up a little bit um, to coincide with the new Congress and this burgeoning political, you know, dust up about the, the documents. But I, th I do think that 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 Klain has just served his time and is now himself and Biden in agreement, ready to move on. I'm going to strike a middle ground on, on all of this. I think both of you make excellent points, but I don't think there's any way that you can't look at the Biden administration and not see 
Ron Klain's fingerprints on everything that's gone on inside the White House. And um, while there's little fallout, and we'll talk a little bit more about the uh, in, in a second about the uh, Biden so-called scandal with the, with the uh, classified documents. But when you look at that, there's no real, I think they were protecting themselves from, they were, as you said, John, transparent with the DOJ, which protects them from any um, any sort of prosecution or criminal problems, but it's the political fallout from it that they yeah. seem to have um, have gone over or have, have glossed over. And I, time and again, it's been Ron Klain who has been the architect of the communication strategy of the White House. And I think that at the end of the day, they need someone with a little better ability to facilitate a, a better uh, communication strategy. Because I've got to tell you, out of all the, out of all, and, and this includes Trump, out of all the the uh, administrations I've covered, this one is far and away one of the worst when it comes to strategizing with um, and dealing with the press. They're they're they've been extremely hands off. And it hasn't helped them. because. And this is all part of Ron Klain's strategy. We all know that. And the, mm -hmm. and the fact is they've done some really decent, great things uh, that, have, that they have not um, trumpeted themselves well on. They haven't positioned themselves well on. So I, I think that I don't, I don't think that Ron Klain was forced out. Um, I think he, if anything, you're right, Michael. I think it was a, uh, and and John, you said it as well. Maybe maybe the timetable was sped up a bit with the current problems, but I I do believe that the part of the problem is, and I think they'll try to make political um, pay out of it. Is that uh, you know with Ron Klain gone, you could say, look, that was you know the president didn't go anywhere. We got rid of the problem. Let's you know, and he'll take he'll fall on his sword for that because at the end of the day, he's still going to be there for Biden. He's a long term friend. He'll help him out in a. Uh, any strategy that he needs or preparing him, as Michael said, for uh, re-election. But with him out of the White House, it gives the White House the chance to move on from Klain and attribute its poor messaging and poor communication to Klain, for what it's worth. That's that's where I fall on it. Yeah, and I yeah, guess the one question I would, I would um, ask is when you say poor messaging, I hear that as saying they weren't as forthcoming with the press as other administrations no, have no, been. I, no, I think it's strategy, how they strategize and how they deal with the press. They've that it's their overall strategy towards the press and towards the American public that I find um, difficult to deal with. I mean, Trump was just a bully and was out there in your face all day long. The Biden administration has. Uh, hidden Joe Biden when Joe Biden is the best one to communicate the strategy of the White House. And I've told them this on a number of occasions in the White House. I've told every press secretary this. They are not as good at, and we've discussed this here. No one is as good as Biden is at discussing the strategy of the White House. They need to have him there more often. Their fear is that he'll gap. But John, you and I both know from covering Biden for many years, that's Joe. So that's <laughs> That's going to happen. And he's nowhere near as bad as Donald Trump. He's not going to attribute, you know, COVID saying you could fix COVID by injecting bleach and, and sunlight. I mean, he's just going to make the gas that, that he makes. He's he just does on occasion. Fine. But 
the I think, you know, on some of the key issues where the Democrats have done very well, their messaging has been poor. And that I think is is lies at the feet of of uh, the outgoing chief of staff, Ron Klain. John, you were going to say something. Yeah, do I'll ask you, um, but I'll answer my own question first, which is a fun trick. Uh, do you do you think that the comms will get better? I I don't. Oh, I don't. I don't either. <laughs> and and you remember, Kate Bedingfeld, the communications director, was going to leave. She stuck around a little longer. She's still there. So I don't. I, I don't. And when I last the... spoke with her, she wasn't going anywhere. That and that was a couple exactly. of weeks ago. So, and I asked her. I don't. I don't really see the communications strategy <clears throat> changing uh, all that much just because the chief is leaving. I could be wrong about that. Um, we saw changes in in the Trump White House, and of course, um, <laughs> nothing. I didn't cover the I didn't cover the Obama the Obama the Obama <laughs> White House um, with the only I only had one press secretary, one comms director uh, when I covered that. So uh, you know, but it does kind of it does take on the personality um, of of the I think the, the communications director as much as the chief. Yeah, and but with this, I'll say this, and that's maybe where science will have an influence. I don't know that the communications uh, that we see out of the White House will change much, but the appearance will be that it it does, and it will give it'll give the White House. Well, that's the way it used to be. We're being more open with the press now, especially regarding you know what what uh, the fact that they didn't disclose the classified documents until well after. They had disclosed it to the DOJ. They can lay that at the feet of, of Ron Klain quite easily. And it doesn't mean that anything will improve in the White House. It just means that they say it has improved. Mm -hmm. But whether it does or not is questionable. It does take on the um, usually the personality of the guy in charge. But I would love to see um, uh, this as a, as a change in how the White House staff communicates with the press. But they are very young very malleable and i don't think it will either but we'll wait and see That's so i think i think all of this um one of the answers should be that they bring john kirby into the white house as the um press secretary i be think nice, that, but i don't think that'll happen yeah i think he i think he's as good as as good as they come and, John is uh, very forthcoming, very honest, and a very easy guy to talk to. Straight yeah. shooter, but yeah. that I, I don't. I, John, you you and I both have talked about this. I don't think that'll happen. Yeah, I've known Kirby for a long time from covering the Pentagon. Um, I remember when I remember when uh, he was he didn't have any stars on his shoulders. Uh, that's how long I've known Kirby. Um, yeah, he's a straight shooter. He's 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 just a pro. He's just a pro. Nice guy. Um, you know, we've had some heated back and forths at times over the years. And then the next time I saw him, you know, he smacked me on the shoulder and, you know, asked me, you know, just how I was doing. It's just kind of the guy he is. And and he is honest. Um, I don't know if that's the personality of this communication shop. Again, I don't know <laughs> if Bedingfeld would, would sign off on that. Um, but that said, they did bring him over. Uh, they did bring him over into the the NSC, at least the National Security Council. John doesn't want to get political, though, and he would have to stand at the podium, the lectern, sorry, the lectern. He would have to stand at the lectern every day and um, 
deal with and politics. Say things. Yeah, he would have to go hard at Republicans um, at harder than he does now, a lot harder than he does now. That's part of the the press secretary job. I just don't know if if he wants to do that. I know he does. He's not real sure. Last I spoke with him, he wasn't. He still wasn't really sure what his true role was, but he's trying to feel it out. And I, I, as you do, get the feeling that he he's more comfortable, um, you know, pinch heading rather than being it cleanup in the lineup. <laughs> so yeah. moving on, let's talk a little bit about the Biden's classified issue problem. And Michael, I'll start with you because I think. Look, explaining this to, um, I don't think the press has done a very good job explaining this issue to the American people. Did Joe Biden have classified documents? Yes. Did he have, did he turn them over? Yes. Did he ever claim that they were his and stonewall the DOJ as they tried to search and lie about having them? No, he did not. So explain in, in a nutshell, if you can, the difference between the Biden case in the Trump case so that people understand. So the similarities between them are that they are people who possessed documents which had classified markings on them outside of the secured facilities. That's a violation of the rules regarding classified documents. They're not allowed to go outside of these facilities. So the similarity is at the at the threshold level, they both appear to have mishandled classified documents. That's where the common ground stops. The problem that Trump has is that once these mishandled documents were identified and asked to be returned, he refused to do that and may have indeed obstructed the requests by DOJ to get them back, whereas Biden fully uh, cooperated and returned those documents. I and found them himself first and then gave them to him. Found some of them first. Yeah. Well, I said to somebody once when they were asking me to analogize this, I said, you've got two cars who are speeding down the highway. Both of them are speeding. One gets pulled over for speeding and asks for his license and registration. He says, absolutely, and, and hands it over. The other one is speeding down the highway, careening off of cars and engaged in, in reckless driving and property damage. He gets pulled over and gets arrested for resisting uh, the officer's efforts to get his license and registration. To me, that that poses an you know, inapt, but inept maybe, but um, <laughs> useful. Um, analogy in that, that you've got two cars that are uh, that are speeding, but one is engaged in reckless driving and is failing to cooperate with the police. The other one just was speeding and, and cooperated. And judges handling those two cases will treat them very differently, even though they both have a common um, touch point of speeding. And I think that we're Trump to have given back the documents immediately, um, even though he appears to have taken some of them potentially intentionally, um, the North Korea letters um, in, in particular. Um, I don't think, I think this thing would be long ago dead and buried because I think that in my experience, most 
people who have been in the senior positions in government for a long time have inadvertently um, possessed classified documents. We, we classify way too many things and um, you move out of these positions, you know, sort of in a very hurried way. And I think mistakes happen. I remember during my independent counsel investigation, I interviewed George Herbert Walker Bush. He was then the former President Bush. And I asked him a question. We asked him a question during the deposition. Uh, does he remember a conversation with Secretary Baker about something? And he said, you know, I don't know, but let me go check my diary. And he checked his diary and he gave us his answer. Well, if he's got a diary, his personal diary, that has communications between himself and the former Secretary of State, maybe those are classified communications that that shouldn't be residing in his office. I don't know. I'm not accusing him of anything wrongdoing. I liked him uh, quite a lot. He was, a, he was quite a gentleman. But all I'm saying is mistakes happen. The question is what happens after the mistake is discovered? And, and you know, it's it, it, they always say, you know, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And yeah. that, that's the that's where these cases diverge. And and John, let's uh, I see I, I without putting my own taint on it. How do you think how do you think the press has handled the coverage of these two different issues? Yeah, I, I think we've we've done a, a, a decent job without knowing yet uh what the contents of most of the Biden documents are. Um I, I think, you know, we can't let our foot off the gas because the scandal for Biden isn't that he had some documents, um, you know, and, and you know, from, from covering national security for so many years, you know, a handful of times a general or an undersecretary was presenting at a conference and there was a murmur in the crowd and someone pointed at his slide on the big screen and it said classified. A classified slide got into an unclassified public PowerPoint presentation, and the general panics and says, "Next slide, next slide, next slide." Um, or you know, there was a time or two I was meeting with a source, and they're you know um, presenting me some documents, some things that I might for my reporting. And the guy looks down and panics and grabs them off the the table at lunch or something, and says, "Oh, I can't give you that one. That one's classified." I didn't mean to bring that. It got mixed in. So this happens. Um, in the Biden case, the scandal isn't that he had 30 documents from a 50-year career. Uh, the scandal is that they didn't tell us before the midterm election, an election that changed control of the House. And we don't know. We don't know what would have happened if they would have told us this uh, a couple days before the election the you know Democrats kept the Senate, but it wasn't by much. This could have changed Senate control. We just don't yeah. know. That's the scandal for Biden. In Trump's case, the scandal is the amount of documents that he had. As Michael said, that he took some of them on, on very much on purpose, and um, and then lied about and again, it. His refusal to give them back, lied about it, refusal to give them back, and then of course uh, refused to cooperate. How is the press done in, in explaining all that? You know, I think some days we do a pretty good job. Some days it's a little lacking. But I think um, there there is some benefit of the doubt giving to Biden here. I, I do think he he's earned some of that over the years. Um, but 
we we have to continue holding them accountable. That's the question that that I hope gets asked over and over again: is why didn't you disclose this to the public before people voted? I agree with the, but I will say that we've done, I think, done a piss poor job of explaining the differences between the two cases because the Republicans continue to frame the argument. The Democrats continue to react to the frame that the uh, Republicans have put up in false comparisons of the two. And we report the two without explaining the differences Mm. as Michael explained. So for me, the biggest fault I have with the press at this point is that we're not putting it, we're not framing the argument. We're not telling people what the differences are. What we're doing is accepting the Republican uh, claim that you know, oh, these are two scandals. These are these are equal almost, and they're scan. And you know, you've got uh, Jim Jordan going. When are we going to you know answer subpoenas? I don't know, Jim. When are you going to answer a subpoena? You know, we we've got the Republicans on their high horse, and we follow along and ask the questions. The briefing room question that should be asked time and again is the one you've mentioned here so cogently is why. Now we all know the reason why. The reason why is because of the political fallout. There is no, and Michael, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see any criminal or prosecutorial fallout. They were open and honest with the DOJ. How they chose to take care of it politically is the question that you ask Biden. With Trump, the question you ask him is, again, why won't you give me your license and registration? Why the hell are you denying that you were speeding? And why you know, why did you take off on purpose? I mean, I, I like the analogy between two speeders because it kind of gives you the idea of, of, of the nature of, of the case. But I think in our case with the press, it's been pathetic that we buy into how the, the Republicans or even the Democrats frame the argument. We need to be as blunt about it and as honest about it as you have been, John, right now, just saying, look, here's the question, damn it. Why the hell didn't you tell us sooner? And I have yet to hear that enunciated bluntly and clearly in the briefing room. And I apologize for not being there to do it myself. (laughs) So may I just say one thing, which is wearing my um, lawyer hat. Wear it, baby. speaking, in the, the midst of an ongoing investigation, you do not want your client speaking publicly about what's going on. Generally speaking, that doesn't help. Look at Michael Cohen. It just doesn't <laughs> just doesn't doesn't help. The problem here is that he's a political official, and the media is just relentless in asking for answers to questions that probably the DOJ wouldn't have wanted him to answer in the first place. If you take, for example, the search of his house that uh, occurred on Friday, DOJ did ask Biden not to reveal the fact that there was a search ongoing until it was completed and everything was returned to the DOJ sometime on Saturday. And so they honored that agreement. But I'm sure someone somewhere is asking, well, why didn't you tell us that on Friday when this was ongoing? So we could be there so that we could be there and be asking the DOJ and the FBI and whomever of of the search party what was going on. And the answer is because we didn't want you there. We want to do our search uninterfered with by these types of questions because they don't 
help us resolve whether or not there is a criminal case um, here. And so I think Biden has that problem, which is the DOJ is speaking with his lawyers, who are very good lawyers, um, Bauer and Sauber, and, and they're most likely saying to him, it would be our preference for you not to talk about this. And, and so, you know, if you honor that request, then you get, you know, stuck in this um, bind that you guys are pointing out, which is that it appears as if he was purposefully hiding something for political purpose. Now, I have no way of knowing whether or not revealing that there was an ongoing uh, issue around classified documents would have changed anything in any state with respect to the, the Senate. It's unknowable uh, to me. Um, it is. Maybe, maybe there was an obligation to, to be forthcoming. But if you're looking at it from a legal perspective, your interest is making sure that at the end of the day, your client is found not criminally responsible. And if you have to take short-term political hits, like why didn't you tell us on November 2nd, then you take those hits and you say at the end of the process, I'm sorry I wasn't more forthcoming. Um, I wasn't because the DOJ asked me not to be. I'm pleased that the DOJ has found, as I said, there was no there there. Um, and now let's get on with the uh, work of the American people. I would prefer that um, to what I thought was a fumbled um, press conference when, when Biden was sort of reading from a notebook about there being um, nothing there and that he was listening to his lawyers. I thought that message wasn't, he wasn't looking up, he was looking at his book. I just thought that was uh, bad optically and, and as a matter of um, messaging. So I just assume have him out of out of public view until this thing is settled and just take the hits from the Jim Jordans. And as you uh, uh, properly uh, point out, Brian, that Jim Jordan, a person who defied a congressional subpoena and is pending a complaint before the Ethics Committee, has no business calling anybody anything when it comes to uh, compliance. Yes, and he needs to wear long shirts, but that's... <laughs> John, your, your thoughts on that? Because I do have some to, to come back with, Michael, but I want to hear what John thought first. Well, I, th I think that it's 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 a problem that that they didn't tell us uh before the election and you know republicans are are gonna are gonna keep hammering that home i think there is a way there was a way to to do exactly what what michael's describing that he would he would advise a client is um there there's a way to do that to not talk about it too much publicly but also alert voters that that we found these documents that this happened i think you can do both things these are smart folks um over there uh, they could have figured out a way to do that you know but uh, including because joe biden said he would never lie to the people now i'm not saying joe biden lied here but he wasn't completely truthful right before an election and i know he's a politician i get it but yeah it's just it's going to hang over them um, and it just gives Republicans another attack line. And, you know, this morning, James Comer, who, who's going to be the he is sorry, he is the chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee. Uh, he's he's looking hard at the Biden family business dealings, the think tank, the Biden Center at University of Pennsylvania. He's looking at the funding there. They're already 
without showing us a shred of evidence. But remember, they don't need evidence. This is not a criminal court that they're that they're presiding in. This is a political court. They're trying to disqualify Joe Biden from 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 a second term. And they're already tying all of this to China. I don't know how many times Comer said Chinese Communist Party this morning. He was on Fox News. Um, And, you know, he's revealing credibility either. But (laughs) it doesn't matter. It, but see, that's where, all right, I'll, I'll again, Michael, is, I'm going to put on my reporter's hat for a second and say, you know, it, it, there we should be we should be told what's going on when it's going on and not have information withheld from us. So when there is a, um, this is why I've stood up in court and asked that court proceedings not be closed. This is why uh, we fight so hard with freedom of information requests. The fact of the matter is the DOJ, we don't know what they're doing or if they allow, they give themselves little cover and open up the book for people to say that they're manipulated when they do things in secret. There's a way for them to say, this is what we're doing, that we're not going to tell you this, we're going to tell you that, here's the search warrant, it's part of the public record, bingo, fine, and leave the rest of it to us. I don't think it helps anyone to hide uh, stuff and then allow stories to be built up around it, speaking to your point, John. But the bottom line is for the press, we still screwed the pooch because there is a vast difference between the two cases and we don't do a very good job. Let the Republicans try to make hay out of it. But if the facts are known, and look, these will come up in these hearings and will mean little to the to the Republicans who are gonna pursue like Jim Jordan does, uh, his own interest against logic and against the facts that you know he's not as as michael said he's not come forward to answer a congressional subpoena he's going to use the facts to and manipulate them to benefit himself fine but if we do a better job and so i i guess i fall and uh, and criticizing both the democrats and republicans and the doj if we did a better job defining what the facts are and allowing the American people to know what's really going on, that Republicans would have uh, less ability to manipulate those facts. The Democrats, in this case, would be better off for them, but the American public would be better off because it's, I uh, personally, the animus that exists over this issue drives me bonkers after having covered and knowing full well what Donald Trump is and was, and knowing what knowing what Biden is and was, there's no comparison between the two, and we're drawing false analogies. That's my thought anyway. So um, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, well, <laughs> we talked about you know some of those committee assignments. Let's we're going to talk about that and the war in Ukraine and a little bit more. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. Seriously. As you probably know, independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve. 
We are back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. With me again is John Bennett from CQ Roll Call, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin. And we've been talking a little bit about what's been going on this week. And I guess uh, um, the committee assignments, Michael, you brought that up in our pregame. Some of the committee assignments that have been assigned to the Republicans in the House have certainly given us uh, cause for concern. You want to start out with what your biggest concern is from it? Well, I have to say I'm very happy that um, uh, Santos has been on Science and Technology Committee, um, <laughs> given his multiple <laughs> Nobel prizes in 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 science, which I read on his bio. <laughs> Kidding aside, uh, it, you know what's troublesome, McCarthy has the right as the speaker to put anyone he wants on whatever committee he wants. But what strikes me when you see how many MAGA people uh, were put on oversight and Homeland Security and how many sort of MAGA freshmen sort of jumped the line above um, more moderate, more long in tenure members, you realize what a Faustian deal McCarthy made in order to become speaker. Uh, And I think that it will have long-term implications for the Republican Party. I think that when you start manipulating committee assignments as blatantly as he did in order for him to assume power, it's just a bad look. It, it 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 invites cynicism, and and I and that that oppo- that is what I'm opposed to most because we can't afford more cynicism about our political processes. Um, we need to we need to dial that back. But then individually, case by case, with some of the people, um, and you know their names better than me, but the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Scott Perrys and the Louis Gobert, the committees that they're on, they they really don't come to those committees with, I think, the entitlement to be on those committees. And it, it, I find it troubling. Now, I, that said, of course, if you sit in their seat and you look at the committee assignments from their perspective and you think, well, you've got Eric Swarwell, you've got... Um, Adam Schiff, you've got, you know, Ted Lieu, you've got, you know, their equivalent uh, on the other side of the aisle on all of these these committees. So what's, you know, good for them is good good for us. But I, I just think that we would have been in a much better place if the outliers of each party were not uh, running uh, as, playing as an important role on these, these committees, that we'd be better off if those who represent the so the collective American will from like the 30 yard line to the 30 yard line held more power than those who are in the red zone. John. Yeah, I, I think. Um, sorry, I think my computer froze. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. We're here. <laughs> that was weird. The screen went, the screen went blue. Um, <laughs> and now I'm distracted. What was the uh, where where were we? So where 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 do you fall down in the committee assignments for uh, 
the Republicans coming into and controlling the House. Sorry about that blue screen of death. Um, yeah, we um, we we got these committee assignments, and they were pretty shocking, uh, as Michael laid out. Um, you we we didn't know, we still don't know everything that the speaker agreed to to become the speaker, but we got a better idea uh, last week when we saw the committee assignments. It 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 will make it difficult uh, to cover these committees. I think um, you know you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene on on national security committees, and in 2018, she uh, questioned whether a plane hit the Pentagon on 9/11, uh, pushing a, a very right wing. Um, I I can't Even really on. tell. Yeah, I can't really tell which of several theories that she was pushing there. I, I think she was confused about the theories themselves, but she was out there pushing it. Uh, it'll, it'll, it'll make the whole process harder, but we also did um, expect some of this. this. It wasn't a huge surprise. It, it was a surprise, um, you know, how many of the MAGA folks ended up on oversight um, and some of the National Security Committee judiciaries and other, uh, and it may, you know, it, it, it will make, you know, let's say that James Comer or Jim Jordan wanted to do a very serious, thorough, you know, by the book investigation. Um, it's going to make that harder. It, it it'll it, it'll make the hearings more more MAGA and and less uh, serious, if you will. And I think that's a problem for Republicans. It'll make because uh, let's let's be honest here. Uh, David Winston, who's a columnist for Roll Call and a political strategist, um, has a report out. It, this is all about independent voters. This is about moving that these investigations are trying to move independent voters who might have voted for Trump and, and maybe usually vote Republican in congressional elections. But but a large number of independents this in November uh, voted for Democratic candidates and they voted for Joe Biden in 2020. This is all about trying to move some of them, plant doubts in their minds about Biden and Democrats and move them back in the red column in 2024. And I think having some of these MAGA folks on these committees um, will, you know, it, independent voters will notice that. It'll, it'll, it'll hurt the credibility of, of these investigations and, and whatever they find or, or whatever they claim they're finding about Joe Biden and Chinese money to the Biden Center and Hunter's laptop and Hunter's business dealings. Um, yeah, I think it puts a big dent in that credibility. I think the biggest thing to take away from it uh, for uh, for all of us to consider is that 11 out of 17 of the committees are being head up by those who denied the big lie and those who supported the insurrection. For me, the, the biggest problem facing us going forward is that the insurrection has been institutionalized with those and those now heading the committees or those who are predisposed to believing that Joe Biden somehow is not the uh, rightful winner of the 2020 election. And I think that that does not bode well for all of us. But that's just me. I, I want to move on now to the the other big uh, news, of course, well, I mean, it's always big news, but Ukraine. This week uh, in uh, Ukraine, you have uh, tanks being promised to Ukraine. Germany has uh, kind of uh, dragged its heels on promoting or, or promising tanks to Ukraine. 
They're talking about now an, an effort to uh, rid the Crimea of Russian troops. Russia has talked about a buildup of 1.5 million troops. And at the same time, we're now training in the United States Ukrainians who can operate Patriot missile batteries. Is and and then you've had Putin come forward and saying, "Look, if this drags on, it it uh, and I know it's a threat by him, so he could try to win. <clears throat> but if the ground war drags on, it increases the chance of a nuclear confrontation. That much we know is true. But as we look at this." Is the U.S. getting dragged into another Vietnam is the overall question. Michael, we'll give you the first whack at that. Well, we're not sending um, boots on the ground. And so that's a Thank big God. differentiator um, between Vietnam and um, Ukraine. And I guess it depends on how big a existential threat you believe Ukraine poses. If you believe that unless Russia is stopped at Ukraine if they are allowed to proceed sort of to, to success, whatever success means, then will that embolden them to do the same in other former Soviet satellite countries, which is what Putin has said all along was his interest, that the fall of the Soviet Union, he thinks, is the greatest catastrophe of, of modern time. And so if that's the case, if that's his objective, then, you know, do we, you know, analogizing back to World War II, do we have to, at this very first opportunity to resist that movement, resist that movement with, you know, all, all necessary efforts? Uh, I, I don't know enough to know whether or not it, it is in fact- well, We should true. ask George Santos since he helped win the Battle of the Bulge. I thought he was in the Pacific. No, That's, he, after he won the Battle of the Bulge, didn't he win oh, the Pacific after that? Got it. He was on Okinawa. I, was <laughs> he one of the flag? Yeah, that's, that's right. He even hoisted the flag. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's not long for. Just to digress for a second, <laughs> I, I, we, we we haven't talked about him except to make fun, but I can't imagine that he's not going to be indicted on. Um, wire fraud, and perhaps even the money laundering charges that usually follow from wire fraud. If you spend money in furtherance of the wire fraud scheme, that you know you acquire money by wire fraud, then you spend that money to promote um, the wire fraud scheme, that's money laundering. It's a 20-year uh, felony. I can't, have, having been the former chief of the money laundering section of the DOJ, I can't help but think that he's not long for Congress and he may well be on the wrong side of it, of an indictment, but say that again, because I'm going to use that as a pull quote. <laughs> you are the former. All right. That's, that's, that's news there, Michael. You think he will be indicted? Yeah. I think that, I think there's a very good chance unless there's a deal struck that he resigns um, in, in, uh, in exchange for not being prosecuted. But if I were a prosecutor and, and, I believe that he engaged in in wire fraud, which it seems like he has. I mean, again, Explain we're that. just how. Well, if you if you acquire money by false pretenses, then that's either mail or wire fraud. You can't you can't do that. And how did he uh, do that again? I mean, we know, but well, it, well by, by 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 
well, a small example is the the GoFundMe uh, for for uh, the well-being of a of a dog, which he apparently kept the money for himself. Any any time you say, and this is what Trump is under investigation for in part two, around his inaugural activities. You cannot say to somebody, "I am raising money for this purpose for my legal um, defense fund," and then use it. For something else that you just can't do that and it seems to me from the public reporting that um congressman santos did exactly that when while running for office that he engaged in um a, a scheme by which he sought money um under false pretenses and that is a crime and the spending of those proceeds is a secondary crime which is which is money laundering and i and it, you always have to be careful about saying on the basis of what is available publicly that you have reached a legal conclusion. Uh, it's like a doctor looking at a patient on the television and saying, well, this is my diagnosis. They can't do that. I can't diagnose his case. But it sure looks from what's publicly available that he's engaged in an effort to acquire money by false pretenses, probably in violation of the federal election campaign Um rules and in violation of the uh, wire fraud, mail fraud, um, and then secondarily the money laundering laws. And that's what, and, that's what it looks like. And your title there at, at, at the DOJ was head of the money laundering. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, director of the money laundering office at DOJ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John, well, we've gone from Ukraine to Santos real quick. What do you think? You think <laughs> Do you think George is going to go down? <laughs> that was uh, quite the pivot. Um, it was very tank-like. So we're talking about tanks. You just turned the turret and <laughs> off we went. Um, and, I, and I have no German blood. We're all, you know, from Belarus. That's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Do I think George Santos, uh, I think eventually, uh, yeah, I, I think they'll find a way to get to get him out of the, the House of Representatives. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll get a special election in his district uh, when that happens. You know, I don't think GOP, I don't think Republican leaders are are excited about him being in their conference. Uh, McCarthy, for now, feels like McCarthy's hands are tied on this uh, because, uh, you know, House rules and, and everything, you you know, and, and Republican conference rules, it's easier to remove a member if they've been charged with a crime. And I do get the sense that that's what McCarthy is waiting to see before, you know, they might try to uh, to oust this guy uh, by other means. If if federal officials or, or state officials are closing in on 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 Mr. Santos and McCarthy world has picked up on that, uh, they're probably just going to let that happen. <clears throat> Excuse me as I choke on air and um, <laughs> and, uh, and and let the process play out. Uh, as it has with with other folks who have been charged with crimes and then uh, they were expelled from the house. I, I I wonder if that's where we're going now. If he's not charged and he becomes a problem for leadership, uh, they do have some tools at their disposal. They're just not there yet. Yeah. Uh, well, let's pivot back with that tank back to Ukraine and we we'll talk about those tanks. You were you had you had a, something you wanted to say about that. Go for it. Sure. I I completely understand where the biden administration is on this um you know if it's if it's a german tank or a belgian tank on the front um 
it's one thing uh, if Vladimir Putin's soldiers are coming home in body bags and coffins because American tanks uh, destroyed their tank and it exploded and, and they died. Um, that's a tougher thing back home for Mr. Putin if those are American tanks. Uh, I do understand that's the reluctance right now. It's 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 what does this do to Putin home at home? And how how would he react to that? I think that's part of their calculus. And and poorly is how Putin would react to use just a one word summary. Um, and, and they don't want that. He would also and then he would have to step up some of the tactics that he's used in the war. I mean, last weekend, Russian forces um, fired missiles at an apartment building in Ukraine. So there's a fear within the Biden administration. I think it's it's a very smart fear. It's it's a caution, and I think it's very smart because Putin could just you know target more and more civilian targets, and that they don't want that. So that's why you see Lloyd Austin in Europe this week, uh, last week, sorry, pushing so hard for the Germans to send their leopard tanks. Uh, the UK pushing uh, Germany and other countries to send their tanks. So, you know, we don't have to send American-made tanks over there because, you know, that, that could really escalate things. But Michael's got a point. Michael's got a very good point. And I know folks in the in the Biden administration and in Congress um, are concerned with that very thing. Not stopping Putin now could be worse than, could be the worst option. But at the same time, you know, they're going to try to get those German tanks in there, see if that makes a difference first. Um, before they're going to send any American tanks over there. I mean, they sent Bradleys, they sent strike uh, these striker vehicles. Um, you know, I covered all of I covered weapons development for years. They sent those things in part, but the army wanted to get the U.S. Army wanted to get rid, get of, the rid of them. They never loved the striker. No. They felt it was a mistake. They would, you know, I'm not going to say they wasted billions, but they, they never did. loved it. Yeah, they they designed it, they developed it, then they got it out. And they didn't like it. So they they moved on to the next thing. Um, so, you know, I think you'll see more and more. It's a way for the U.S. Army to get rid of equipment, frankly. So more strikers, <laughs> more, yeah, more strikers, uh, more Bradleys. Again, the Bradley fighting vehicle, not necessarily a tank. Um, right. But they're playing the optics game here. And I think the caution is is wise. But the question is, if you do get the German tanks and the British tanks in there and they don't make a difference, then what? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take another short break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, some active Marines that were uh, charged for the January 6th insurrection. And of course, we can't get out of this discussion without discussing the NFL and the Super Bowl. So stick around. We'll be right back. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, J-A-T-Q Podcast. That's J-A-T-Q Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. All 
Hi, we're back. It's Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and with me again is Michael Zeldin, former DOJ prosecutor, and John Bennett, the uh, editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, bon vivant, excellent columnist. While we got a shot here, guys, go ahead and plug what you want. Michael, your uh, podcast? is called That Said with Michael Zeldin, and it's a podcast that's based around books, not politics or or law, but books that I think tell interesting stories. We did one recently on the creation of the Museum of Modern Art. We did another one about a uh, sleeper agent who was a nuclear spy um, for Russia in the Second World War. Uh, just released was my interview with Nina Totenberg about her memoir on her friendship with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So it's an eclectic um list of of books but all with interesting stories to tell so that said with michael zeldin on podcast apps nationwide worldwide fine podcast or so john your column and your newsletter that's right uh column every friday usually every friday at rollcall.com and the newsletter cq afternoon briefing usually hits your inbox in the four o'clock hour uh, about three days a week. We go to one day a week when Congress is on recess and you can subscribe at CQ.com. And with that said, we're going to go talk a little bit about one of the big issues this week also, and uh, NPR reported on this was, and others have as well, uh, active duty Marines, I believe it's three of them, three active duty Marines charged for their participation in the January 6th insurrection. The speculation, of course, is that... Uh, that this portends horrible things for the U.S. And we'll start with uh, John, you first, your fallout on this. Yeah, this has been something that the the military has been concerned about, about the uniform leadership at the Pentagon and, and the civilian leadership. Um, I know General Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, has talked about this. Uh, Secretary Austin himself, a former four-star general, has talked about this. And that's extremism right-wing extremism within the ranks um, of, of, of each service, but but predominantly um, from some of the, the inward-looking reviews they've done, especially the Marines and the Army, um, not so much the Navy, not so much the Air Force, but it's there in the Air Force, of course. Uh, Miss Babbitt, who was killed, uh, had connections to the Air Force. I believe she had served. So it's there. Uh, they're, they're concerned about it. This is just further evidence um, that that element is in there. Uh, they, they, they've tried to root it out. They tried to remove folks. Um, you know, you don't always know it's there, though. It, it's a challenge for the military. If folks aren't on social media or in their unit um, expressing How do you these identify views, them? yeah, it's harder to identify them. And then they pop up at the Capitol and they're carrying Nancy Pelosi's lectern or or something through the rotunda as they run away from tear gas. So it's a, it's a challenge that, that well, the there's military, a visual. <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge that the military has struggled with. And I think they'll always struggle with it because, um, you know, these folks are, are drawn to the military lifestyle there. They, you know, the, the, the MAGA people will tell you that they love their country more than you. And, and part of that is, is serving in the military. So, the, the you know the Pentagon brass the the service leaders they they know it's there uh, they're they they're trying to take steps to notice it when you know when 
when a corporal is on social media writing certain things, um, they're they're trying to track that better. They're trying to get people to be watchdogs of each other and report that behavior. Uh, but but it's always going to be there. And and exactly how you root it out, I don't think you can ever uh, completely root it out. Uh, and Brian has left the building. So, Michael, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, before we get to Michael, uh, there was, I want to read a little of the clip. It said, a Marine who said he was waiting for Civil War II and two other active duty members of the military have been charged with participating in the riot at the U.S. Capitol. And these are in the newly filed court papers. Mika Comer, Joshua Abate, and Dodge Dan Hel there's a name for you, Dodge Dale Hellenan were arrested this week on misdemeanor charges uh, after their fellow Marines helped investigators identify them in footage among the pro-Trump mob mm -hmm. on January 6, 2021, according to court papers. So there was some cooperation from active duty military. These are the only three active members of the military to be charged so far. But uh, Michael, is it is it any... Uh, does it make any difference that they were charged on on a misdemeanor and not a felony? No, I don't think so. I, I think the overarching point is the one that John made, which is for too long, the military and also um, state police offices around the country have been a um, attractive place for uh, people with white supremacist and other um uh, similar leanings to to end up. I think it would be naive to think that the Black Lives Movement, that which they have protested, police brutality, um, is to be seen separate from who are police officers. Um, that's not to criticize all police officers. There are some wonderful police officers. Um, when I was a public defender and was a prosecutor, I worked with some terrific police officers and I have the highest regard for them. But there are some uh, rotten apples, um, as we see, just this past two weeks, more more deaths by tasing and other um, use of excessive force when it wasn't necessary to subdue uh, the, the individual. We need, um, I mean, if you look at the history of police forces, I mean, the way they arose they when they had these um, fugitive trade slave laws and black laws um, enacted the, the the police were there to bring runaway slaves back. I mean, that's the origin of this is all is all terrible, and and we have to come to terms with this um, critically um, in order to to really make the adjustment. Which is you know another pet peeve I have of this attack on critical race theory um, by the Republicans, so that people remain ignorant of our, the true history of our our country. You never can overcome your 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 past unless you understand it um mm -hmm. and so the issues around these three guys is one one thing but it but it um is just the tip of a of a iceberg of a much bigger problem throughout um policing uh both in the military and um in the non-military police forces. Do you think this is a step in the right direction uh indicting them or uh going to be further cause or further fire for their cause. I'm not worried about further fire for their cause. Their cause has enough innate fire um, without worrying about whether we're going to somehow empower them to be even more um, 
fired up. I, I think if it's if it's wrong, it's, um, it's it it's wrong, and it and what the obligation of the the media here is to explain why it is important that these three Damn people straight. be held accountable um, for for their criminal activity and why it's in, and what you know why it's important and and, and what why this is um, what needs to be done um, irrespective of whether or not the uh, people who are uh, sympathizers with them get even more agitated and to extend that analogy further, I would say if it's wrong, it's wrong, it should be prosecuted, and that goes for Donald Trump as well. We don't need to give him any further fuel to the fire. He, he, They bring plenty, and he should be prosecuted if he's found to be in the wrong. So that's uh, – John, <laughs> you're tapping your head with a pen, but I'm going to – I'm seeing if, any, I'm seeing if there's any brain activity. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm going to move on to a we're, we're going to close as we often do with our you know the three of us like to talk sports but the NFL playoffs um I I'm going to start by saying I I really think they gave Kirk Cousins too much crap I thought he played a great game I don't think he's a choke artist he hit his check down receiver I think one day that guy's going to end up with an MVP in this league if he if the Vikings could just get a defense that ranked better than 31st <laughs> They might have a chance at going further in the playoffs, and you can't blame Kirk for that. That being said, I sure hope the Cowboys are no longer with us after they. Sorry, all you Cowboy fans. And so that that leaves us with, what do you think of the NFL playoffs this year? John, I'll give you the first crack at that. Well, as we record this, uh, the Buffalo Bills are hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. It is snowing in Buffalo, and it's a pretty cool scene. Uh, January playoff football in the snow. Um, and then the Bengals are just pounding the ball. So this is this is the kind of football I I can get into. Just uh, the big boys, uh, the big boys in the trenches. It's going to be all about them today. Even though Tom Brady will tell you the best time to throw the ball is in the snow because the defense has trouble reacting. He 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 said he always preferred playing in the snow to playing in rain. So maybe uh, Joe. That's Burrow's a Bart Starr saying, man. That goes way back. Yeah. Tom Brady's yeah. that old. He probably played with Bart. <laughs> yeah, I right. I thought uh, I thought the Saturday uh, drama was around Patrick Mahomes's right ankle, and uh, the Kansas City quarterback came back in the second half. We we were talking before we started about that. Uh, that's a questionable decision for Andy Reid uh, because you know you've got two more games to play. You can't get to the Super Bowl unless you win next week, and they're going to play Cincinnati or Buffalo. Those are two great teams, and those defenses. Uh, get after quarterbacks. So um, we'll see if Mahomes is on the field next week. They're going to, the alternative is 37 year old Chad Henney, a career backup out of Michigan. He played okay yesterday in the second quarter. Um, but do you, are you really going to, going to play Buffalo with Chad Henney? Um, I think I'll take, I I'll, I would take a 70% Patrick Mahomes, at least trot him out there, see what he's got. But you got to think about, they, they also have to think about Mahomes beyond, Right. Uh, the next the next two games um he's their he's their franchise quarterback for another decade so who do you predict in the super bowl who do you think would be the two in the super bowl i'm gonna go with the with the mahomes injury um i i don't think he, they get out of the afc championship so i'll go buffalo and san francisco Ooh, michael your turn well i'm a new york giants fan and <laughs> what, what we did learn um in the past two weeks is 
Daniel Jones is a very capable quarterback against a very mediocre pass defense team in Minnesota. <laughs> and he is not a very good quarterback against the number one rated pass defense team in the Philadelphia Eagles. That was a shellacking. Although, uh, you know, as I said to my wife after the game, they lost the first half 28 nothing and the second half 10 to 7. So, hey, you know, that bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> so if there was if there was a, a third and fourth half, maybe, you know, maybe we'd, maybe we would uh, eke out a victory. But that was an embarrassing thumping um, by the Giants. But, you know, good for them. They made the playoffs. They won a round in the playoffs. And um, that's, as a Giants fan, something we haven't seen for a very long time. Uh, I, I agree with John, too, though, that the putting back of Mahone's uh, right at the beginning of the second half, even though he is reported to, he was begging Andy Reid to, to put him back in. I think Reid has to say, especially since Henny drove the ball 98 yards for a touchdown uh, at the end of the second um, period, why would you say, I'm going to put Mahomes in? Let's see how Henny does. Um, and if he continues to do well, let's keep Patrick's ankle protected because he was hopping all over the field. Yeah. And I expect that today he's in a boot and um, that's not what you want. It's pretty hard to play quarterback wearing a boot. Uh, <laughs> Unless you're Brett Favre. That's, yeah. <laughs> so Michael. Uh, and, and I, and I, and, and, and I don't know which teams will win uh, today, but um, on Sunday, the, 22nd, but I do hope that the, the next round of games finds um, Buffalo winners and San Francisco winners. And I would love to see a Buffalo San Francisco uh, Super Bowl. Two great storylines there Buffalo, who was in the never Super Bowl won. 70 years and never won, um, plus the, the injured player and, you know, win it for him. And then, of course, San Francisco has the quarterback who was. Mr. Irrelevant, the last person chosen in in the National Football League draft, um, leading a team to the Super Bowl. It's you know it's not since Kurt Warner have we seen you know such a Anything like that romantic yeah. storyline. Yeah, that's a, so I'm gonna I'm gonna counter the romance for a bit and just say oh, you're such a poop. I know <laughs> defense wins championships. I've got to go. I've got to go with Philadelphia because of their defensive prowess. Um, I think the Eagles will be in it and I and over the 49ers. As long as the Cowboys aren't, I'm happy. AFC championship, I could take the Bills or the Bengals. Long both of them have never been there, uh, have never won it. I mean, they've been there, but they've never won it. So I'd love to see either one of them win it. But I'll give a tip of the hat to the Bengals, depending on, you know, if they win today, eh, no. Uh if they lose today, no. But uh, the Bengals I like because uh growing up in Louisville, that was the team we all rooted for was the Bengals and you know they've never won it but I'd be happy if if the Bills were there too because they've never won it and I love the Bills so but though I just don't want to see the Cowboys <laughs> just wait time that's that's all that I have one team I can't stand and the rest of them I could live with so we'll go with that <laughs> so listen guys uh thanks it's been fun as always it's uh next week uh final thoughts on where where we'll be I I guess um next week we want to talk a little bit about the uh, uh about the rising uh, debt ceiling crisis but d 
Do you think, and a real quick question for both of you, do you think this time next week we'll be staring at a a clearer or more murky picture on the uh, the Biden classified document scandal? John, you? More murky. More murky. Michael? I, I think pretty much the same. I, I expect there may be two more searches. I mean, they may, if the FBI is searching, and remember the interesting thing about this is that this search uh, that occurred on Friday was not uh, at the request of the special counsel, Robert Herr. He's not on board yet. So the person who advised the attorney general that this search should go forward is the uh, prosecutor from Chicago, the U.S. attorney from Chicago, the Trump um, carryover U.S. attorney, who uh, is still running this investigation, who ordered this search. So we may see searches of two other places that Biden um, held documents in. And if additional documents come up, then to John's point, it'll be murkier. Um, if there are additional searches and there are no additional documents, and this is sort of the, the last of it, then I think we're gonna be in a holding pattern until the prosecutors tell us what they found. I'm going to take the middle line again, the non-romantic angle <laughs> being the poop and saying, I don't think this is going to go away until after the election. And I think that as far as murky goes, it, I think it's going to be a steady stream of BS from now until the election from Republicans as they try to make hay out of it and the Democrats as they try to dismiss it. But we'll see. Anyway, so John, one 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 final thing on this comment between you and me, and not for Brian to hear us. You <laughs> notice how he, how he takes the middle ground between us all the time. He just refuses to take a position on issues. <laughs> I never know where Brian stands on anything. No, <laughs> I know. he's just such a, 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 a milk toast. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I've, I've got to learn to be more assertive. You do. Right. Stand up for yourself, Brian. Yeah. It's tough. I'm not used to it. <laughs> anyway, thanks, guys, for joining us. We'll catch you again next week. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I'm your host, Brian Karam. Thanks for joining us. Hi, I'm Dan Dunn, host of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, the most wildly entertaining adult beverage-themed podcast in the history of the medium. That's right, the boozy best of the best, baby. And we have the cool celebrity promos to prove it. Check this out. Hi, I'm Allison Janney, and you're here with me on What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. And that's my sexy voice. Boom. Boom is right, Academy Award winner Allison Janney. As you can see, celebrities just love this show. How cool is that? Hey, this is Scotty Pippen, and you're listening to The Dan Dunn Show. And wait, hold on. The name of the show is what? All right, sure. Scotty Pippen momentarily forgot the show's name, but there's a first time for everything. Hey, everyone. This is Scoot McNary. I'm here with Dan Dunn on What Are You Drinking? What's it called again? Fine, twice. But famous people really do love this show. Hi, this is Will Forte, and you're, for some reason, listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. What do you mean for some reason, Will Forte? 
What's going on? Hi, this is Kurt Russell. Listen, I escaped from New York, but I couldn't get the hell out of Dan Dunn's happy hour. Please send help. Send help? Oh, come on, Kurt Russell. Can somebody out there please help me? I'm Dita Von Tees, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Let me try one more time. Come on. Is that right? What we're drinking? It's amazing. It's amazing. Is it right? Ah, that's better. So be like Dita Von Tees, friends, and listen to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn, available wherever you get your podcasts.